Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook shares from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, the 16th part of the series, The Household of God. And now, here's David. We're uh, in to our uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy this morning. If you have a Bible and uh, you want to open to that, that would be great. Let's just uh, take a moment and uh, ask God's blessing and presence and help in our study. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that you have given us these words, these messages, these uh, thoughts from you. We pray that you would take our take the thoughts that are given and apply them in our hearts. And uh, may we become more like our Savior. Thank you for this time, and we ask your name may be honored and glorified here. In Jesus' name, amen. Warning, there are people that may try and steal your money. Now, I've got a little problem here. You'd know, you didn't know that, eh? That was Eve, I'm not seeing my presenter notes. I don't know what's happened there. And I need them. <laughs> are you, are you, I'll, I'll keep my fingers off the screen here for a moment. Thank you. It's still not there yet. But. Well, let's move on to the next slide. Well, I will, I will touch one button, Eve. No, it didn't work. There. I'm seeing something. There. Yeah. So, there they are. There's a warning. People may try and steal your money. And how many of you have been like me? Sometimes you've opened your computer screen and there before you is a flashing. You are the 10,000th visitor on this site. You have won. Uh, whatever. And just type in this information. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm a male. I'm this age. And then they want more. And how much do you make? And what's your email address? And... <laughs> Basically, they want to either gain control of your computer or empty your bank account. I don't know what, but they don't really want to give you a new iPhone. They don't want to do that. They want to take your money. Um, or how many of you got a call? We'd like to help you fix your broken computer. Uh, well, uh, uh, sure. I didn't know it was broken, you know, like, uh, and, well, you know, if you just open your, your, your computer, well, we're from, what, what's the, uh, software for Microsoft, and we'll help you. And, but it's an Apple, you know. <laughs> oh, well, then let me tell you that. How, <laughs> no, it just—they're uh, out there, right? These people that want to take your money. They—I um, anybody else had any experiences like that? <laughs> yeah, a few of you. They say that a lot of people get taken in by those scams. I, you know, I can see—I can see it actually. But uh, you think, well, it must be the seniors that are vulnerable. But some. People say it's actually young men that are the most vulnerable on their cell phones these days, and they're just taken uh, advantage of. And I, I don't know, we, are, we could all fall victims to these con artists, basically, right? They are people that gain your confidence somehow, therefore they are con people, and then they take you, or they get what they want from you. So how can you protect yourself from these people? You know, you've got to be in some way suspicious, I think, that these can, things can happen, but you need to have an education. You need to be aware 
that there are people there. And you have to learn to differentiate what is legitimate. If someone comes to you and offers, it's different from you going and asking them. So, you know, that's one big difference. And you need to deal with people that you trust, right? That they're reputable, that you can sort of know their history, know what they're coming from and what they're doing. And, and you have to establish that trust. If, if they're just getting your confidence like that, they may be con artists. So, in uh, first, in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul starts out with, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. The road is going to be rough ahead. Now, when we hear that last times, we're, we're sort of conditioned, I think, after being in the evangelical churches for a while, to think, oh, he's talking about the days before Jesus comes back, because that's the, the last days. But did Paul really want to tell Timothy what would be happening in a thousand years, two thousand years, five thousand years from when Timothy was in Ephesus? No, I think he was really expecting Timothy to say, to understand that, you know, in the days ahead, there are going to be difficult times. Now, it could be your times, Timothy. could be the next generation's times. could be any generation from then on, because all of those days are the last days. So, we, you know, we kind of wring our hands and say, oh, things are getting worse and worse, but they were pretty bad in Timothy's days, too. They could have been there in those days. And then Paul goes on to, uh, to write a long list of characteristics of people that may be out to get you. And I, uh, I would say these are bad people, just to use that word. But um, I put up the, the, there's a bit of a squish slide there, 19 traits if you count them. <laughs> Paul really left it loose here, like he just, he just gets on and on. Now, there's other places where he's listed things like this, and you go to Galatians and you see a list, and you go to the last uh, verses of Romans chapter 1, you'll see almost a, a similar list, but, uh, but this one's the expanded list. This one's got them all, or uh, got a lot more anyway. Let's read these verses in verses 2 to 5. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Good advice, Paul. Thanks, Timothy says. You know, like, okay, going to keep those people away. I'm going to keep them at arm's length. You know, no way. I'm gonna, not going to talk to you. I'm going to hang up right away. I'm going to click that uh, off button on my computer. Well, I don't think Timothy had that choice. But anyway, that was what, the, you know. But, but is that really what Paul was getting at? Because what about these people? They sound pretty bad. If any people need the saving knowledge of Christ, it's these people, right? It's the... the the people that are out there that are bad. And in the chapter before, Timothy's been told to, you know, be, be nice to people that are uh, in objection to you. You know, be, be aware of them and be uh, open to them. But now Paul's saying avoid them. Why, why the sudden switch and what is going on? Uh, I think we have to realize that this is a bit uh, context 
specific. And then the one translation, another translation that you can read, it says, have nothing to do with them. This one I read says, avoid them. But what is nothing to do with them means it don't work together with these people. Like, don't let them into your area where you're trying to minister and have them alongside you as people that are ministering. Don't do church together with these people. This household of faith we're talking about. Guard that place. Don't let these people take control of that. I think Paul is thinking of the false teachers. And as we get down to verse 8, we'll see that that word teachers is in there. And in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, he's been concerned about the churches coming under the influence of false teachers. And if you can imagine a list of attributes like that being one of your church leaders, that's trouble, right? These people will try and infiltrate the church, Paul's saying, for their own gain. Now let's look at the next verse that's coming. Preacher's dry this morning. <laughs> now, who could resist that face, right? These are the kinds who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings and reconnecting Eve. And just as I was reading, such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. So, con artists will try and worm their way in, Paul's saying, to these positions. And, and they're like puppy eyes. Puppies are programmed to, to win our confidence, right? They, like, who's going to refuse to give that puppy a snack from the table? Come on, you're going to do it, right? Yeah, you're going to, you're going to give it. You know, like, and we are, we are programmed to respond to that. But con artists are very crafty and they being able to take what our, our tra- own traits and use them against us. One of the traits that we have is, is we kind of want to believe. We're very, we want to be, we have credulous, credul- I can't say the word. We're gullible, anyway. Credulity <laughs> is the, was the word I'm thinking of. And, and, and we kind of are led along. We kind of want to believe what they're saying, so we don't question it. We believe it. Uh, or we're naive. We just don't know what they're talking about, and we kind of don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll say yes to that, because uh, we lack wisdom, we lack experience. But uh, they're often used able to work on our own pride, our vanity. They make us feel good, like, you know, they, they, they boost your confidence and they'll get you to, to go along with them. Or, a big one, they'll play on our greed, right? We want something, they've got to offer it to you, we've got a plan for you, I'll just, okay, I want that, you know, and before you know it, you're caught by this uh, game. So, in, in Ephesus, those people that were vulnerable to this attack were actually happened to be the women of the I believe of the church. And these women were said to be vulnerable because they they felt guilty, they weren't well taught or they hadn't learned as much as they needed to, and they or they weren't able to understand it. So they were a vulnerable way into the to the church. And I just think it happened to be women in this particular church. I don't think it is just to saying anything about men or women in particular. 
But there are vulnerabilities in each of us and in every church. And we have a responsibility to make sure that people are well taught, that they are understanding of the risks and dangers, and that they aren't uh, belabored by some of these other things that... uh, Because these these puppy dog eyes will get to us somewhere along the way. Next slide. (laughs) Good job. Verse uh, 8 and 9 says, These teachers, so now we, we see that Paul is talking about the teachers. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. Now, if you're reading your Bible and you've not read your Bible that much, but you know, you're, you've got a Bible and you're reading it and you come along and go, well, who are these Janus and Jambres guys? Like, okay, I'm going to look through the Bible and find can't find them anywhere. You read the whole Bible now, you can't find them anywhere else, except for Paul telling Timothy. Well, how am I supposed to understand this? Well, this is the time, guys, where you need to open somebody else's notes, study Bible, commentary, something. Because we just aren't living in the right times to know who Janice and Jammers are. We're not in the right faith community. If you were Jewish, you would know, because in their tradition... They named the magicians that Moses was dealing with when he was before Pharaoh. And they gave them the names Janus and Jambres. I don't know if that was their right names or not, but that's what the Jews felt. And so, if you look back, well, Paul's a Jew. Timothy was, has been taught in Jewish tradition. They knew what they were talking about. <laughs> kind of left us out when we're reading Timothy's mail here, right? Then Jim, Jim highlights that often when he was speaking. We're reading somebody else's mail. So we need some help to understand. But, but now think about it as, as you're thinking about who these people are. You remember the story. If you've read your Bible now looking for their names, at least you've gone through that part. And Moses was there before Pharaoh and he's trying to convince Pharaoh that God had told him to let the people go. And he you know, had Aaron throw down the staff, became a serpent and snake, and wow! But these guys could do the thing. They did it. How'd they do it? Kind of tricky guys. You know, kind of magicians. Okay, well, alright, we'll turn the water to blood. These guys did that. How did they do that? I don't know. They have their magicians. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff. Well, God says, we'll make frogs. And I'll make frogs. And, and Aaron make, and Moses make frogs. These guys make frogs. How did they get frogs? All right, well, this is looking pretty grim. You know, like these guys are able to copy everything. They look so authentic. And yet they're fake. It's, it's con men. How did they, how did they do this? Okay, Moses, make mosquitoes. Matt. I wonder who wants to make mosquitoes. <laughs> they couldn't make mosquitoes. <laughs> they ran out of tricks. That, well, maybe they just didn't want to. Like, no way, we're not going there. Anymore. Anyway, so they were, they were eventually found out to be fakers and, uh, and counterfeits and condoms. They were very good at it, remember. So, but just as these guys were trying to oppose the truth, so these people that want to worm their way into the church may oppose the truth. Next slide, thanks, Steve. Okay, there's the 19 things again. How are we going to tell those people from the real deal, the people that we want to trust and give our, our, uh, our faith to? Let's read verses 10 to 13. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. 
You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. So what's the difference between people you trust and people you, that are trying to take you? Look at their life. Look at their fruit. Look at their motivation. Look what, what their passions are. That, I put those notes up there to see that there's a contrast between the two. Whereas Paul's is a selfless, selfless devotion to God out of love for God and for the people, the others have only a selfish love for themselves. So with, and, and Paul writes in Corinthians, without love, no matter what you do, it's going to be for nothing. So these people with the 19 characteristics are going to amount to nothing. But the, the characteristics of Paul will, will produce fruit in the, in the believers. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, we sometimes think, well, God's blessing this work, it must be God. Well, evil people may flourish, it says here. Like, you can't, you can't just judge by the, those superficial results. And, and Paul says that, listen, what I do, it's going to end up bad, really. We're going to face, really, persecution and suffering. And Paul eventually died because of this, uh, what he wanted to accomplish. So, you know, the end result, it's God that will judge the end result. And it's not what we can see, but we need to have the, the characteristics like Paul had, and he's using himself as an example to Timothy. If, if people don't look like this, don't have anything to do with them in church. I like to think, you know, of course, of Jesus as the prime example of someone who gave his life for us and who exhibited all those, those traits that are trustworthy and important. So do we have any examples of people who have conned us in the church? I think so. You can think of them. I, I will name Jim and Tammy Baker as, as just a, a sort of a kind of an example. You know, these people that had the idea of money making and, and were the, in it for that reason, eventually everything crumbled and collapsed. But they were big at one time, right? And they, they kind of had a big following and there's still people that would say that the gospel is about getting wealth, health, happiness, that's it. Whereas Paul says, no, the gospel is about giving, loving, and suffering. You know, like it's, not, it's not what uh, people... So we are exposed to people who have sort of usurped the authority positions in the church and sometimes we fall into their... To their cons, I think. Let's go on. So, a reaction is required. If we have this, uh, this warning, this threat, what, how are we going to react? Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip the people to do every good work. Paul is basically saying, we need to buckle up. We need to get secure. Let's look at the next slide there, please. We need to to secure the foundations, to grab on, to hold on, and you know because turbulent times are coming. Fasten your seatbelt. You need to examine your teachers. What was their purpose and motive? Were they self-centered or Christ-centered? If they live a Christ-like life, like Paul was, give them the respect they deserve, and 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 take a listen to what they are saying. Let's look at who taught Timothy. Who who were his teachers in this? Uh, life, you know, he taught Paul taught him obviously, but even before then, he had two other really important teachers: his mother and his grandmother. They they imbued in, 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 in him the faith that he he needed, the uh, the, the uh, background, this, and they taught him. They taught him well. And other teachers Paul must have come in contact with Silas. Paul and Silas were together when they met Timothy. We speak. Speaks of Luke being there. Boy, Mark, probably two gospel writers. How many better teachers do you want than those guys? You know, Probably met Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, and Corinth and uh, had some time with them. whole list of other people, Tychius, Anistimus, Epaphroditus, Aristocrat, Aristocarchus, and, and, and you know, an impressive list of biblical names and, and characters. So Paul and Timothy had a lot of people he could look to to trust. We, we have a lot of people, too. You know, we've had a lot of teachers throughout the years and in our present time. And we can look at their lives and we can see, do we trust them? Do we put our confidence in what they're saying? Not always. I mean, everybody makes mistakes and we have problems. But, but by and large, is the, is the purpose of their life evident in terms of following Christ? Next slide. So, there are two secure foundations to hold on to. One is the trusted teachers, and we've just talked a bit about them. And the next slide, please, is is the Holy Scriptures. And I think in this context, this is what Paul is using this of these verses that we've you, we know them so well, right? We, they're so important to us. But in the context, they're the, they're the basis by which we can also sort out between the, the, the different competing ideas, the cons and, the, and the, the trusted ones. These are really important verses for our understanding of the Bible, and we need to evaluate the, our teaching in light of them. But I just wanted, wanted to talk a little bit about these, these important verses And we are all quite familiar with Paul's statement that all scripture is inspired. I still have questions about what that exactly means according to the, the book that we have in front of us. And for example, the question like, how does God communicate his thoughts through human writers? Does, does he make allowances for the limitations of our understanding, our culture, and our language? And, and these are questions and others, but happy to discuss those, but... But bottom line is that we have a very, very special gift from God in this book. We 
uh, in Moody Bible Institute, where I spent a, a year, we, the president would often quip, you know, the Bible's our second name. Well, here, the Bible's our first name. <laughs> We're in Bible Fellowship Assembly. I guess Chester and whoever decided to put that in, and they made it the first name. So it holds a very important place for our group here. It is the record that he wanted us to have of his, of his involvement in human experience. It's, it is that which leads us on our path to discovery of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It points to him. The scriptures point to Christ. So they're extremely important for us. Next slide. Let's look back at verse 15 just for a moment. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. Some recent intriguing thinking uh, that I've been reading and thinking about, it may strike me as a little off, so that's okay. (laughs) But you can take it for thought anyway. And they, they have to do with how do we use the Bible, and what is it primary use. And this verse highlights the idea that it's to give us wisdom to, to understand about salvation. And salvation, I put up there, is a, is a process. We start when we accept Christ. We have to come to know Christ. Before that, to accept him, by, and then we're justified, just as if we never sinned. Then we have a process of sanctification. We become more and more like Christ as we go through life. And we look forward to glorification when we'll be with him and like him. But throughout that whole process of salvation, Paul is saying to Timothy, there's a, there's a need for wisdom. And that the scriptures are our source for that wisdom to guide and direct our salvation process. So, from that moment when we put our, our trust in Jesus, who's the one who, can give us life, who gives us life, when we recognize that we are doomed without him, that we trust Jesus to rescue us from our slavery to sin and set us free. That starts that process of salvation. But it it's, then goes on, it becomes a process by which we make new choices, whether to follow the Savior or follow our own ways. And we have to make these choices daily in our lives. Are we going to follow Jesus? It's our commitment to love as he first loved us, and it's our commitment to change our characters to be like him. And we, to, to guide us in that process, we need the scriptures, Paul is telling Timothy. So they, they have a huge part in our, in our salvation, and, and he says that they provide us with wisdom. Let's look at the next slide. Now, we've often talked about the Bible being our instruction manual, and I think that's a good metaphor. I think it's, uh, it helps us understand that these, these things are in the Bible for us to learn. But I have some problems with that as a, as a metaphor in that it's, um, it's not an IKEA manual to put, down, put together a, a piece of furniture, right? It's not something you follow A, B, C, D, E, or 1, 2, 3, 4, and get to the finished product, and all the steps are there, and they're all clear as can be, and you don't have any questions. Well, some of the manuals aren't quite like that either, but that's their aim. That's what they're trying to accomplish. So my, the problem sometimes I have with, with the Bible in that sort of instruction manual, I'll, I'll get back to the instruction manual thing, but, but it is an ancient book, right? So it tells us about things that, that don't really apply to us anymore in terms of where we are. 
Okay. I get an extra five minutes for no <laughs> for technical difficulties like the ref closes. Anyway, it's an ancient book and we and it talks to things like slavery, for example. Now none of us have had slaves or are slaves. And so that's kind of we, we we translate that to say, okay, I'm an employee or I'm a boss, you know, like we make that sort of distinction. That's an example of how the culture has changed and and we have to rethink a bit about what the Bible says in that. It can be difficult to understand at times. Uh, you know, uh, this, we have this understanding, another group has this understanding. There's so many different churches out there. Everybody's got a little bit of difference. So we can't be all that really clear that we're, because we're not all the same. So we all take little bits of it and we understand it a little differently. We're all working together, but it's not always an easy book to understand. We can't always come to an agreement as to what it means in particular instances. So, that's a little bit of a problem as a, as a manual. It sometimes seems a little ambiguous. And just for example, says thou shalt not kill. That's not ambiguous at all, except then we see the next books of the Bible. Lots of killing takes place, you know, and some of it says God says do that. Well, wait a minute. Does it, what is it, when can we kill? When can't we kill? And well, then Jesus says, if you even hate somebody, you're like killing them. Oh, all right. I get it. But Wow. This is, this is going to take a little more thought than just thou shalt not kill. It's got to be a lot more nuanced than that. What does that mean? So it's not crystal clear step number three, don't kill and then move on. You know, but there's a lot to it. So another problem I have is a bit incomplete as a manual. Didn't tell me what color socks to put on this morning. Didn't tell me what to do this afternoon. What, you know, what am I going to do? Doesn't tell me what kind of car to drive or whether I should drive a car anymore. Or, and doesn't tell me where to go to university or whether or not I should go to university. Okay, so there's a lot of questions in life and choices to make that aren't really written down here. So we're going to have to find other ways of using the scriptures to help us in those decisions. But they're not step-by-step manual directions. right? And... Last is sometimes it can even seem contradictory at times. And I, I just throw this example in Proverbs 26.4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Okay, that's, that's pretty clear. Except the very next verse, in verse 5, says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So there, okay, you know, you get to your manual steps 5. Do step 5, unless you think step 5 is not a good step to do, then do step 6. Unless you think step six is not a good thing, then go back to step six. Okay. So it's a manual that has some nuancing that we need to do. And rather than a traditional IKEA instruction manual, it, it, it is better, I think, to consider the use of the Bible as a divine source of wisdom. And, and it's the wisdom that guides us in those, in those decisions. You know, whether to answer a fool or not, we're going to, like the book of Proverbs says, the book of wisdom, we're going to have to find the wisest course according to our full knowledge of Scripture. That would require a lot of study, meditation, discussion, wrestling with Scripture. You know, there's a lot more to this than just reading the book and finding an answer for today. You can't just open your page and put your finger, that's what I'm going to do. It's not going to work that way. It's a book of wisdom. As James says, it's the wisdom from above. So, next slide there's dark slide. That's supposed to be the stage of a plate. Um, 
I take that as a bit of an illustration from the work of N.G. Wright, who, who used this uh, metaphor for the, for the scriptures. He says, it's like you found an, an, a work of Shakespeare. Shakespeare always wrote his works in five acts. You found the first four acts of the play. You've got all the characters down. You know how they're going to respond and react. And you've got, it, you've got sort of the plot sorted out. You kind of figure out where he's going. And you can't find the fifth act. It's gone. Somewhere missing. But then they said, well, okay, everybody up on stage, you're going to finish the play. You're going to ad-lib it. You know the characters. You know what they want. You know what they should do. And we're going to just make it up as we go. Making decisions as we go. And that's sort of our lives today. We're sort of ad-libbing based on what the wisdom we've gotten in the, in the previous acts, in the scriptures. And I, I don't know, that's it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's helpful for me. So I think that, that we gain wisdom from the scriptures that allow us to make choices that we need to stay on the true path and to true to the story. Now this wisdom idea fits well with the context of what we we're speaking about because we need wisdom, next slide, to confront those who are, who are conning us, right? Who may try and con us. That's where we really need the wisdom of Scripture to understand what is true. Paul says in verse 16, uh, and understand the error of our ways, make the necessary corrections, and see the right path to take. So, in summary, the final slide, we are confronted by this possibility of infiltrated, infiltrating teachers that would con us, but they may be true teachers. How do we tell the difference? Faithful teachings, we know the character, and we know the Holy Scriptures. We use those two together to sort it out. And so, in our attempts to, to follow the right path, we have these two foundational things, the faithful teaching that was gone before and the Holy Scriptures to guide us. So let's, as we seek to do that, let's just take those thoughts and, and think about them and continue to study the scriptures to make us wise. Lord, we thank you that we are free from that slavery of sin and, and fear. Thank you that our Savior has rescued us. May we have wisdom to continue on in that salvation as we make our choices day, to, day by day to, to be followers of him and to live as he lived. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.